to Merv and Marion and what a blessing they have been in our lives. And I just think of something that Gary said to me so many times when something is overwhelming and he says, Marilyn, it's not the end of the story. And it's just not the end of the story for any of us because God is writing a beautiful script in each of our lives. Um, Mary and I have been asked to speak to you today about praying with women who have been sexually abused. And while we will refer to women, and um, these concepts can be used with anyone. Um, it's just that we would usually be praying with a woman. So um, they can be used for not only sexual abuse, but any kind of abuse, any kind of uh, really traumatic, emotional things that happen to people. And it would be so nice if we could give you an ABC or a one, two, three, that if you just do this, um, it will work. But there isn't such a thing. And um, <clears throat> it's just not like that. It's not real life. And um, in, in reality, the best and the most important thing that we can do for a person is to make them feel safe. And uh, when we are going to meet with somebody or we just come in contact with somebody that's hurting to be able to give them a safe place. Um, we can't put pressure on people. Um, they have to know that they're cared about. And usually sexual abuse is not the first place that you want to start with a person. Um, you want to build a relationship so that they can trust you. But sometimes it happens that that is where you end up first, and that is what you have to deal with. But you aren't initially looking to do that in the beginning. You're trying to, to understand them and their whole all about them and really have a relationship. But, um, you know, you can't always control that either. But as you care about them and as you listen to their story, that you... Uh, want to be able to sympathize with them. You want to be able to validate their pain. That's what they need. Um, I tell them that I want to understand them, that um, as that they talk about the pain in their life, that I want to care about that. And then I want to take them to Jesus. Um, for some people, it might be the very first time they've ever talked to anybody about sexual abuse. Um, they maybe never dared tell anyone before. And it's very important to listen without any pressure, without any judgment, without any shocking looks on your face. Um, and you know, there's many kinds of sexual abuse. And I usually ask the question, sometimes it's all these facts are offered to you, that's great, but sometimes not much is offered to you. And so one of the questions that I like to ask has has anyone ever touched you in an inappropriate way? Sometimes people don't associate some of the childhood incidences as sexual abuse. And sometimes they, if something like that is brought up, they'll say, oh, well, well we played around as kids, but that doesn't bother me. Or, or well, I, I don't think that's any big deal. And, and I just respond, well, that's okay. But since it, something came to your mind... Maybe later when we are praying, we could just ask Jesus if that had any effect upon you. And then I also ask questions like, did you ever tell anyone? And the answers that they will give when you ask that will give you a lot of insight into, the, into what's going on inside. They might say, well, no, I didn't tell anybody. I was too scared to tell. They might say, um, 
Well, I wanted to, but I knew nobody would believe me. Um, they might say, yes, I told, but nothing happened. And you know, if you tell and nothing happens, what's the message? It doesn't matter. That's the message. It doesn't matter that that happened to me. You don't care that that happened to me. <clears throat> Sometimes I've even heard, um, well, what, what did you do to cause that? And I just want to make a, a huge point here right now is that there is nothing that a woman or a man, anyone, could ever do to justify sexual abuse. There's nothing that they could ever do that would cause someone to say, you deserve that. There's nothing that could happen that would make us deserve that. And, but when someone's told that, the message that goes inside says, you're not important, you're not worth much, and you do deserve it. And that's why many people keep these things a secret. But as they listen, and as I listen, as they talk to me, um, <clears throat> when I listen and I tell them even that, that there's nothing you could have ever done to deserve that, what I'm doing is I'm validating that woman. I'm sympathizing with her. I'm letting her know that I care about what happened to her. And these answers that they give are very eye-opening to us, and they help us to understand the trauma. We also can see the things that can happen when they're told things like that. Um, then they carry blame. They carry false guilt. They carry shame. And they believe lies about themselves. A prayer for that might sound something like this. Jesus, when I was six years old and that neighbor boy whispered those things in my ear, what was going on in my heart? What was I feeling, Lord, when he touched me? Did that damage me, Lord? What effect did that have on me? Could you draw me a picture, Lord, of how that damaged my heart? And most of the time, whether they realize it or not, there's still pain inside of them. There's still effect. And some of the answers might be, yes, yes, I felt scared. I felt guilty. I felt confused. I'm embarrassed. All these words can come tumbling out of them. And we would just go on. Lord, why did my little girl's heart feel so guilty? And she might say, because oh, it's my fault. Or I'm bad. Many times I've heard those words. I'm bad. And when a little girl has been abused, she's not bad. Something was stolen from her. And so we ask, Lord, is that true? Was that my fault? Or is that a lie my heart believes? Jesus will tell her it's a lie. Jesus will come to her heart and let her know that she's been told a lie. And sometimes one lie leads to another. If you feel like you're, it's my fault, if you feel like you're bad then the next lie that can get tacked on is, well, nobody ever would want me. You see how lies just get, they just keep growing. As we believe one lie, then we can believe another one. And so we take the lies to Jesus. And it sounds like this, Lord, all my life I've carried this lie that I'm bad or that it was my fault that this happened. It's had an effect on me. It's too heavy for me, Jesus. Would you take it from me and all the pain that goes with that lie? I just want your truth, Lord. What is your truth? 
and let Jesus start speaking truth and then start giving some of that pain, we ask, Lord, what are the words that might describe the effect that that lie has had on me? Well, I feel dirty and I feel bad and I'm ashamed and, and I felt violated and scared and embarrassed and confused and fear and all kinds of things come inside and start to grow inside when we don't know what to do with um, all those emotions. There's always a lot of fear and a lot of confusion in childhood abuse because the things that a child sees, the things that a child hears, the things that happen to them, these, that they experience, God never meant for them to see them or hear them or experience them. And they don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to process it. They're just children. And so they end up feeling very confused and very scared and all mixed up inside. It's like they get plugged in backwards. And then the enemy has a heyday with that, with all their thoughts. And so I like to ask this question in prayer. How did it make your heart feel, Jesus, when this happened to me? And it's amazing to see what happens when a person sees God's heart for them. When, he begins to under, when they begin to see that God understands them, that he knows how they felt, and that he's hurt because they're hurt. And <clears throat> I think every time we've asked this question, the person didn't realize the depth of how much Jesus cared about them and how much he loved them. And it starts to change them inside. And they say things like, I didn't know you loved me so much, Jesus. I didn't know you were crying. I didn't know you were hurt. I didn't know you were angry that he did that to me. And when they see God's heart for them, it changes things inside. And it makes their heart softer. It makes them more ready to dump the pain. When they see that Jesus has compassion for them, that he, he's sorry that they went through that, that they can give that pain to him. And <clears throat> we begin to ask, who am I, Lord? Who did you create me to be? Uh, what do you want to whisper to me today, Jesus? What's your truth? And as Jesus tells them the truth about how he cares for them and what they mean to him, then their heart begins to rise up and they begin to believe that they are worth something and that they do have value. And as we ask Jesus to take the pain and speak peace to that pain, they can wash a little girl's heart clean. Um, And sometimes we say, Jesus, show me what you're doing with my heart. You know, little girls have been in bubble bath and dressed in white and beautiful pictures that's just very personal for them that makes them know that Jesus has come in and cleansed that from them. And after resolving some of that pain, then there's another question. And then, then we can go to forgiveness. Lord, have I ever forgiven that person for sexually abusing me? And many times, if it's childhood, um, uh, abuse that they didn't quite know that was abuse, then they haven't even thought about forgiveness. And many times people who don't want to think about any of it, whether it was a little or a lot and have stuffed it down, they have never forgiven because they never go there. I'm not going there. But when they get some healing, they are much more open to forgiving. And it's amazing how their hearts will change and the way they think about themselves will change. Right there. there no. Yeah. We eat. Am I on? 
Yeah, there you go. Um, we each have some examples that we're going to share during this time that will illustrate how we prayed through with individuals who were sexually abused. Um, but before we do that, I have a list, and I think you got the list of um, some things we wish we'd known before we encountered our first client who was sexually abused, and they're not in any special order. But I just want to um, elaborate on some of these. Uh, you may encounter someone who's been severely damaged, uh, and you might not realize the extent of that damage at first because not everybody's going to tell you everything when you first meet them. Um, and, but as you go along and you find out that there's severe damage there, there's been severe abuse, you have to realize that working with them is going to mean a long-term commitment because a person like that, you can't just pray with them a couple of times and everything is fine. They have repressed a lot of memories. And as they've repressed these memories, they don't even know that they have them. But as they start to feel safe with you, these memories will come up. And it takes a while. <laughs> Maybe I have a battery problem. Oh, it's just switch. Okay. <laughs> um. I have a letter I want to read from someone who was severely abused. And the reason I want to read it is she wrote this right before I started working with, right the day after I worked with her for the first time. And if you hear this, it will help you to understand what's in the mind of someone who's hurting that much. And you can see how she vacillates constantly in the letter, but you'll hear her heart of how desperately she wants help. It starts out like this. Um, I feel like we made progress yesterday. We had met once. I know that it was slow, and I'm sorry. I know we have a ways to go yet because I'm still at the intellectual state meaning I know you care and you showed you cared, but I'm blocking you and I know it. Perhaps it is for the following request that I'm going to ask. We were at a, we were actually at a, a training out in Colorado Springs. And in, during the middle of this, um, when John was counseling somebody up front, it touched this girl's pain and she ran out. And I went after her and I started uh, the next day I started to get with her. So this is why she keeps referring to this time limit in this letter. I know as the week goes further along, you're only to get, going to get busier. And so I do not want to be selfish, but I so have a favor to ask. The little girl is peeking out. She wants to come out and be who she really is, but is scared to death. So many times when she has come out and shown the true person, people shut her off, tell her to get a grip and move on, turn their back, or, and then she puts this in all capital letters, don't have enough time anymore. That scares this little girl because it happens so many times. This little girl wants to trust you and believe you are here for her. 
But this little girl is very sensitive if, you fe- if she feels you become too busy. She does not want to be a burden to anyone, so will not say a word, but will sneak back into her closet. And she is afraid that she will lock it so tight that not even she will be able to get out, and she will eventually suffocate. But that is okay because at least she is safe. So all that to say, please, please lead me to freedom this week. See the vacillation? I am scared to go by myself because it's too dark and scary. I may shy away, but it's not because I don't want help. It is even more an indication that I need you. No one has cared enough to take me by the hand and lead me through the hallway to a lighted room. They have always left me just outside the closet door. I know that the room on the other side has freedom and light, but the hallway has too many skeletons to go by for me to think of going there alone. Sometimes you will have to hold me close because skeletons have huge, ugly faces, and they will terrify me. But if you are there, I know it will be okay. In the course of her sexual abuse, there was a lot of demonic activity, and that's why the skeleton thing theme goes through here. Are you willing to take me by the hand and lead me out? I do not want to be selfish, but it feels like this is the last chance that I will trust anyone. My mom stands at the other end yelling, what do I do with these skeletons? Clean them or throw them away? Her mother was in denial about what had happened to her. She called me last night asking what she should do in her situation. Should she leave the man or stay with him? I want to say, you are suffocating me. I'm scared. Don't leave me here in the dark in this damp, cold closet like everyone else has done. I don't ask that you hold, forever hold my hand <clears throat> or I have to depend on you as a counselor. I just need someone to lead me through the hallway and then I'll be safe and in a lighted room. But one thing I ask, if you cannot take me all the way because you do not have time, please, I do not want to even try to get out of the closet. I would rather die in there than be half exposed again and be scared to death by these ugly skeletons. My door gives me protection where I can survive a little longer. And rejection or lack of time will only ruin my possibilities to escape. If you have the time and energy, because I know it takes a lot out of one, let me know. Or if not, let's not get together. Let's not even try to get together. Believe me, if there are more important things in your life right now, we'll understand. Desperate and scared, she signs her name, and then she says, again, please tell me if you can't go all the way. I will not have a problem, but that is so, I must close down right now. When I started this years ago, I had four people promise to stay by me, then all, for different reasons, didn't. I can't risk facing this by myself again. It's so painful. She was on the verge of a total breakdown when I met her. We spent several years off and on working. Um, Today, she's free, and she actually counsels women, other women who have been sexually abused. She had gone to a therapist who specialized in sexual abuse, and that therapist told her that maybe in 10 years time of constant therapy that she might start to come out of this but God has done such a miracle in her life 
that she can counsel people with her same pain. You can't explain that other than a miracle. So number two, um, if a person calls and they're struggling and you can't talk with them right then, then set a definite time that when you can get back so that because you you saw her mindset it's hard for a person to trust number three use we prayers when necessary and Marilyn is going to go into detail about we prayers Um, but the reason you might have to do that is because some a lot of sexual abuse victims feel too dirty to talk to Jesus themselves they believe a lie that they're too dirty and that Jesus doesn't want to hear from them. And they have a lot of shame. So if you can uh, come alongside and you speak for them to Jesus, they can, they can accept that. I had a woman who was so damaged that she couldn't even speak. She couldn't talk to me. All she did was keep her head down in her lap. And I spent hours with her, did hours of we prayers. And I've never seen a person who could not talk at all, and she could not. If you get somebody like that, have them write out what they're feeling, and that will help you know how to pray, because this woman could not talk. Um, The other important thing to remember is don't pressure some people, when they see somebody uh, who has a problem, be, they might, out of their own drivenness, decide to make that person their project. I'm going to fix them. I know I can help them. I know I can fix them. And that's not a good approach to take with somebody who's been sexually abused. Um, they have to be on their own uh, pace. So you can't push them. A lot of times, care can come across as pressure if you're trying to push somebody and you have somebody who really gets stuck. You have to be very, very careful in that. One of my clients told me that um, all of the details and all of what happened to her was too much for her to face at once. We decided to create an imaginary box. We put all of her abuse um, events in that imaginary box and put it on an imaginary shelf. And you might think, well, that's kind of silly. But what it does is it makes the person able to relax because she knows that you're only going to take one thing out of that box. And you're going to process that one thing. Especially if they've had a lifetime of abuse that can be scary if you open up that box and you pull it all out. It's too much for them to think about. Marilyn has mentioned validating the experiences and pain a person has. Uh, A lot of people, their family members think they're lying and that they're making these things up. It's if they feel that you're validating, that, is, that means a lot to them. Assuring them that the abuse was not their fault. I had a client who was abused by the next-door neighbor when she was a little girl. And it became known, and the police came to arrest the next-door neighbor. And she waited on her porch, waiting for the police to come put the handcuffs on her, too. 
because she believed the lie that she was guilty and it was all her fault, even though she was just a little child. And people keep believing that on up into their adulthood. It's appropriate to express your anger at what happened to them. Again, it's a, it's a validating thing. Your anger that she was unprotected. Nobody took care of her. And these things happened to her. Know that a lot of times you can run into strong enemy involvement. Sometimes there are sexual spirits that are attached to these abusers. And when you try to get into a prayer process, uh, a lot of times there will be uh, resistance. And so to be praying through that, um, telling the enemy, asking Jesus to send the enemy away to place the place he appoints. Um, and Marilyn mentioned don't react with shock when you hear the details of somebody's life because sometimes they tell you a little bit just to see what your reaction's going to be. And if, you're, if you really react, then they're not going to share anymore. Surfacing a memory make, make them feel as if they are right back there when it happened. Um, <clears throat> this woman, the one I read the letter from, the first day I got with her, she started talking, and the next thing I know, she was on the floor behind the door in a fetal position. And it was because she was right back. She was a child again. She was um, terrified at, what, at her father and what he was going to do to her. And it, it's unbelievable that they can be right at that spot. So to be prepared and to know that when these memories come up, they can be very powerful. I ended up having to get down on the floor with her and hold her on the floor and try to make her feel safe again. At times, their mind will be filled with lies so that they can't hear from the Lord. Sometimes, you talked about doing a we prayer. Sometimes the Lord will give you a picture, and you can pass it on to them of safety. Um, And then last thing in this little summary that we're doing, as pain comes to the surface, it's possible that they may start with suicidal thoughts because the enemy will really come in in a battle. It's a real spiritual battle to work with somebody who's been spiritually um, sexually abused. So it's important to let them know that you are there and that you're going to help them get through this and validate their feelings so that um, that hopelessness will go away. It's just some things to keep in the back of your mind to be aware of that we might run into some of these things. And the biggest thing is just cry out to God the whole time, you know, silently. And he will give you the wisdom of what to do next as you process along. The important thing is that these people feel cared for, which that's what means the most to them, just that you care. I just wanted to take a minute here to... Um, remind all of us, including Mary and I, that um, it is a little overwhelming sometimes to hear situations that are so big and we just don't have the answers. And that happens to all of us. We don't get to a place 
where we'll ever have all the answers because Jesus has the answers. And that really is the freedom, that if we can cry out to Jesus and ask him to lead us and direct us as we are praying with someone, that um, there's freedom in not having the answers. And it's okay to say to that person, I don't know. Let's ask Jesus. I don't know. Let's talk to the Lord about that. Um, many times we use a we prayer um, when a person can't follow us. I talked about that a little bit yesterday, um, that they're too scared or they're too overwhelmed. They're crying. The pain is so deep that they just can't, they can't get it out. They can't talk. They can't do anything. Um, a woman came to my door one night late, and um, all I knew was that she was a friend brought her and that she was crying and that she had had some memories and she was just a mess. And as I opened the door, she literally fell in my arms and for several hours I held her on the couch. I didn't know what the problem was. I figured that there had been some sexual abuse, but I didn't know anything. And <clears throat> she couldn't talk and she couldn't tell me her story. And so I just held her and I just began to pray softly, just a couple sentences at a time, and then I'd be quiet. But it would sound like this, Jesus, would you come? Would you help us? Could you comfort her right now? Lord Jesus, you see her heart. You know what's happening inside. You know how she's hurting. Would you come and show her that you love her? She's feeling so much pain. Could she give it to you? Jesus, would you come and put your arms around her too? Would you make her feel safe? She's so scared inside, she doesn't know what to do. Would you calm her heart? Would you tell her that you love her? And I didn't know any specifics, so I couldn't pray any, but um, if you know specifics, you can do the same thing, but um, you would just bring the pain that you know about. But after a long time, she began to calm down, and through her tears, she began to talk in just little, little tiny bits and pieces of what had happened to her and how she had been sexually abused. And so if I got a little bit from her, then we'd take it to Jesus in that same soft way because all through the night she couldn't follow me in anything. And, um, but as she was able to just speak out pain words or cry them out, I would take that. I would say we started taking the shame and the disgust and the humiliation and, and being exposed and violated and used and trashed and whatever words were coming out of her and giving it to Jesus in that same way, just in a soft way and asking him to speak peace into that pain. And again, um, I said this yesterday and I will say it over and over and I don't think we can hear it enough and, and that is that this is a process. People are in, are in process and things can sometimes God can come just in a miraculous way um, and he does that at many times but also life is a process and so to say things like Lord in the days to come would you show me whatever I need to see um, that takes the pressure off of them that reassures them that they are okay that they're that you're not looking down on them in any way, and it's okay to deal with just a little bit at a time. The Lord knows how much they can take and handle at one time. Sometimes a person might become so terrorized that they see demons or some demonic activity, and they feel such fear all around them. And 
you know, again, you're crying out to Jesus for wisdom and for help. And uh, one time a pastor told me that Satan cannot stand to look at the blood of Jesus. And there are times when I have prayed, Jesus, would you put your blood, uh, the, would you put your blood between, and I just name her name, and the enemy so that he can't come close to her, so that she can be safe. And, uh, or I pray it out, Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ that you would put your blood, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the sinless one. Sometimes you just pray everything you have inside because of the de demonic activity that's going on. And then they began to calm down again. Um, and as Mary said, call, call the enemy to your throne and judge him and send him to wherever you choose or bind and gag him. There's all kinds of things. And that isn't what happens all the time. But, but it's kind of scary when it does happen. And it's nice to know that you can call out to Jesus. And um, I've come across several women that um, uh, I have felt in my heart by the things that they've said that they feel... It's made me ask the question, do you think that the enemy has more power? Do you think the devil, or do you think Satan, or the enemy, however you want to ask it, has more power than God? And they say yes. And right there, I know that there's a lie, and I have to ask them some questions, or we ask it in prayer, Lord, why do I think that? And somewhere they've gotten something twisted. They've taken in a wrong doctrine about God. They've done, taken something into their heart to make them believe that Satan is more powerful. And therefore, it's very hard to hang on to what God wants to tell them. And when that happens, I want to break that down. I want to renounce that. I want Jesus to come and tell them the truth about who he really is and the power that he has. So as you pray, and if you have to pray a we prayer, it doesn't matter if you pray for them or like you're them. Um, you're just helping them bring this pain to Jesus. Another kind of prayer that we use was mentioned this morning by John. He was talking about um, separating a person from the abuser. And um, I call that a soul tie prayer. You can find them many places. It's just S-O-U-L. It's unhealthy ties that have happened through sexual abuse, through emotional abuse, through all kinds of um, terrible things that happen to people. And this has been one of the greatest prayers that I've ever used that I have seen more freedom come to women by using this prayer because they really can take part in this. And it, it's really um, uh, in three parts. Um, we're asking Jesus to separate that person. So I come to you, I just make it as simple as possible. I come to you, Lord, and in the name of Jesus Christ, I ask you to separate my mind, my body, my soul, and my spirit, and all my emotions from, and we name the name of that abuser. And sometimes I use the date, Lord, today on October 20th, 2011, today I want to put a stake in the ground. I want to be separate from that person who did those things to me. I want to be free from that. And when that person feels that inside, they're really putting a stake in the ground, and it does something for them. And then there's two other parts. Okay, that's putting the stake in the ground. And then there, one part is, and Lord, if there's anything left of that person in me, there can be all kinds of things left, uh, whether it's lies, whether it's threats, whether it's um, uh, things that he's, they've said. If a person has um, been threatened, it's, the, the pain just escalates to a, a greater amount. Um, 
And so on one side, I'll talk about it a little more later, but on one side is what's left in me, that the Lord would take, would bring that to my mind, and I would give that to him, that he would take that from me, and then that he would fill up all those places in my heart with himself. We don't ever want to leave a person empty. And on the other side is what was robbed from me, what was stolen from me. I just want to give you an example. Gary and I were praying with a couple several years ago, and the husband had committed adultery. He had had, they'd been married about 25 years, and somewhere in the first years of their marriage, the first few couple years of their marriage, that he had had a one-night stand with somebody. And uh, somehow he uh, came to her and repented and said he's sorry, but her heart was so wounded and so hurt that she had locked her heart to him. And she just closed up, and she could never, ever forgive him. And um, he, he said he'd ask her 50 times, 100 times to forgive him, but she wouldn't, couldn't do it. And um, since that time, they had never been co- connected to each other. And he was um, sort of, he just came to a point where I, I'm just satisfied to get the crumbs under the table from her, anything that she would give me in any way. And um, they were just like ships passing in the night, um, just living their two lives under the same roof. And um, so we asked this man if he would be willing to pray this soul tie prayer in his wife's presence. And he said, he'd, yes, he would. He would do anything. And so um, we led him to pray this prayer. And his wife was listening. And um, it was just amazing because he, by by saying these words out loud that he wanted to be separated from this woman. This had happened 20-some years ago. This wife was sitting there listening that he was willing to not only be separated, but, Lord, if there's anything left of her in me, if there's any images in my mind, if there's any words she's ever said to me, if there's any connection of any sort, Lord, I want to be free. And when this wife was sitting there and listening to her husband being willing to do that, her heart began to soften and it began to just open up to him. And, and he said, you know, Lord, I want back what I gave away that night. Because not only had he prayed to separate himself, but he said, I gave away something that night, Lord. There was a robbery that night in my wife's heart. I robbed away truth and honesty and commitment when I lied to her and I deceived her. And my heart was to be for my wife. And I gave a part to this woman. And Lord Jesus, could you get my heart, that part, and bring it back to me. And make my heart whole so I could have a whole heart for my wife. This wife, I'm telling you, it was such an exciting night. She got excited. She went and she jumped in his lap. She looked at us. And all I remember, it was in October. Here we are in October. This was quite a few years ago. And she said, what's the date to date? today and we whatever October whatever it was and she looked right at him she's on his lap and she says today is our new anniversary date and it that was the power of God coming in and healing bringing truth bringing healing into a woman's heart that had been so wounded and closed and this kind of a prayer can be used for pornography it doesn't even have to be a person you can separate from a thing, pornography, from a curse that's been put over somebody. Um, It's a way of taking back ground from the enemy that the will of God would be accomplished and that the goals of the devil will be demolished. Oh, I got on my soapbox, didn't I? (laughs) We can just stop now. 
Um, I want to take you through uh, kind of what I call a case study and just show you how a, we would progress uh, when we're talking to someone and the kind of prayers we would pray. Uh, I'm going to call this girl Hannah. She came to see me because she was depressed. She was a young woman, about 21. Um, as usual, I ask about her story. She was homeschooled. She had one brother. She told me that she had been a rebellious teenager. And um, during that rebellion, her parents wanted to break it. They took all the furniture out of her room. They took everything from her. And they were doing their best to try to break this rebellion. So right there, I knew she had a problem with rebellion. She went off to college where she was date-raped. Neither her parents or the college administration gave her any sympathy because they said she was partly to blame for it. Um, at that point, she made a vow in her heart, and that was, it. okay, nobody cares. I'm going to do whatever I want to now, which just solidified that rebellion. She reached the end of her rope, too, because she had made a vow when she was little that it was going to be her job to make her father happy. Her father was depressed and detached, and she decided that it was her job to make him happy and um, make him connect with her and the rest of the family. And she also tried to be the uh, confidant to her mom because her mom couldn't connect with her dad because he was depressed and detached. So she had taken these roles on that God never intended for her to have. So when all this happened to her and nobody believed she had been raped, um, she decided that she was going to throw it all to the wind and do whatever she wanted to do. So she started to live in moral failure And uh, she finally got pregnant. She married the father, and he was a person who refused to work. He used drugs and never never could hold down a job, so she had to support the family. So I knew she had two things. I knew she had rebellion. I knew she had moral failure. And I could have... um, started out by just hitting these sin issues. But people don't do those kind of things without a reason. And I wanted to find out what really was going on in her heart. So instead of addressing that rebellion or moral failure, I had her start out by asking Jesus how a little girl's heart first became locked. And to see what kind of memory Jesus would bring to her. And in her case, she remembered being at camp. And another child there, a little girl, taught her to masturbate. And so she started doing that. So she was filled with pain and guilt and shame. She was frustrated and embarrassed and disappointed with herself because that was something she couldn't stop. So I led her in a prayer. Jesus, do you condemn a little girl? for what happened to her when she was eight years old. Jesus told her, no, it's not your fault. She didn't know any better. Jesus, do you care about what happened to this little girl? And of course, it was just a resounding yes. Jesus, did the enemy have access to my life because of what happened? And 
she got an, actually an earlier memory than this when her foster brother had moved in with them and started to play sex games with her. Then she remembered being defrauded by neighbors when they were playing house. And then she, Jesus told her that the enemy had come in and started to control her with anger and bitterness. Now we're talking about a little child. Her uncle had defrauded her by coming in when she was taking a shower when she was 10 years old. And Jesus told her that Satan ran that house. She also found out that her grandfather had been doing some things inappropriately with her. So we prayed a prayer. Jesus, when I was 10 years old and my uncle did something very inappropriate, how'd that make the little girl feel? And so she immediately said, angry, mad, my heart was dark. And Jesus, are you able to fix a little girl's heart? And so she got a picture of a safe place. Actually, just her home, her church, and a healed heart just being bright and bubbly, happy and strong, just like a little girl should be. I led her in a prayer to forgive her foster brother, the girl from camp, the parents, the school administration, the boy who raped her, and her uncle to get all of that bitterness cleaned up. We asked Jesus if he really cared about her, and he just said, you are my love. And she saw her heart clean and purified. We asked her, uh, Jesus, Jesus, what lies did the little girl believe after all these things happened to her? She believed, I'm worth nothing. Jesus, what, what's your answer to that lie? Well, you're precious. You're worth everything. Jesus, is there another lie I believed? Not good enough. I'm not good enough for the best. I'm ruined. And Jesus told her she only deserved the best. Jesus, is there another lie the little girl believed? No one will ever love me. Jesus, what do you have to say to that lie? I love you with an everlasting love. And Jesus, is there another lie? And I keep doing this until there's no more lies. And the last one was, I'll never amount to anything. And he told her, with him, she can do anything. And Jesus, can you make a little girl clean from all of the things that happened to her? And she saw herself gold and shiny, as Marilyn was talking about, um, pure. So the next day, we started to work on her husband. And we asked Jesus if she could be clean from being in this relationship with her husband. And she saw white sheets hanging on a clothesline. We asked, what lies have I believed because of my relationship with my husband? Well, that he has a hold on me. And I prayed, we prayed a soul tie prayer, as Marilyn just described. And she saw this picture of chain links just breaking as we prayed this prayer. We asked if the enemy was attached to, to him and their life together, and Jesus told her, yes, there are many of them. And at that point, we prayed that Jesus would call those enemies to his throne, that he judged them and send them where they belong. Now, her husband was a pedophile, and he was in prison. And um, so he was the 
the, um, it was very important to break a soul tie with him. You might think, well, he's her husband. Why are you praying this prayer? But he was, uh, he had been with an 11-year-old girl, and he had done a lot of other things. So we needed to break that. And she told me what that praying that soul tie prayer did for her was um, she had such a compulsion, even though he had done these things and they had little children together, she, even though he was in prison, she wanted to call him and continue a relationship with him. So when we prayed the soul tie prayer, all of that desire broke just like those chains broke. So that's just an example of one person and how you would go about. Now, we later went back and prayed about the rebellion and all the moral failure, and we cleaned all that up. But the important thing with her was to care about her and to find out what started it all. Why did she have this behavior? The moral failure and the rebellion were just symptoms of, of um, the pain that she felt because she had been sexually abused. So <clears throat> this is just an example, and I, we hope it's helpful. And I know we're running a little late, so I'm going to skip some things, and I just want a couple of other thoughts. And one is because sexual abuse is a very shameful thing for uh, any person to have to talk about that we want to be sure that we honor these people and we do not ask we do not want these women to tell us all the details of what happened we are not asking them to do that that doesn't honor them we tell them um, that whatever happened if they were raped whatever it is we want you to, to talk to Jesus about that. Give him all those details. You can tell him whatever is coming into your mind. Just empty out your heart to Jesus. And when you're done, you tell us, and then we'll pray for you, and we'll go on. Um, yes, they can give you the pain. They can ha- you can help them with their pain and with the lies. But with the, the details of what happened, uh, we want to honor these women and our husbands we've talked about this with them and they work with couples and so there are times many times when they have to help a woman pray through things they do not ask her to tell them details all they want is the concept of whatever happens so then they can take that and pray and that's really important to know so that you can help honor and um, respect these women um, that are talking about these things and then God can speak clean to them and peace to that to their pain yes you can help them give their pain and all those lies and um, uh, that's one concept and the other one uh, before we end that I think is a really maybe one of the hardest things for people to do for women to do is to forgive themselves many many times they will say well I know Jesus has forgiven me uh, and you ask but have you forgiven yourself and they'll say no I can't uh, and maybe it's I don't deserve to be forgiven it's all bound it's all wound up with lies and um, with the ways that they think about themselves and so um, that's really important to help them work through that and to uh, to take the shame that they feel. Uh, shame is very, very heavy, and it's too heavy for us to get, carry. And many times I tell them, you know, I, I've said this, I know that you know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. 
And they'll, yes, they know that. Do you know that Jesus died on the cross for your broken heart? And it's amazing. Sometimes people, well, I never thought about that. But that's what the Bible says, that he came to heal my broken heart. And so I help her to see that her heart's broken and um, that the shame that she carries, that he wants to take that. And so it's important to help a person work through, have they forgiven themselves? And um, then one other last concept here is that many times uh, women will say, well, why did God let that happen to me? And I spoke of this a little bit yesterday. Um, if we could help them to see the concept that we live in a fallen world, that the world is filled with evil, uh, and that people have a free will. It's helpful to pray sometimes, Lord, I suffered because so-and-so sinned against me. Because you are validating their pain, you are sympathizing with them, you are um, helping her to put it in perspective. And then when you add to that, Jesus, how did it make your heart feel? And they see Jesus' heart when you put those two things together. We don't know all the answers. We don't know why all these things happen. But it's very helpful for them to understand that um, there is free will. And um, things happen, bad things happen to good people. And, um, but we can take that to Jesus, and he wants to care about that. So we hope that this has been helpful for you today. And um, One thing yeah. along those lines is that a lot of people also need to forgive God because they're, they think he allowed it, he's, they're angry at him. And so going exactly with what Marilyn just said, um, most of the time they have to forgive God. So forgiving God, forgiving themselves, forgiving the people who damaged them, all of these things are necessary before they are actually going to feel clean get that message of being clean. It doesn't have to be. Theology would say, well, God didn't do anything wrong. That's right. He didn't. But in their mind and in their heart, it's for them. And that's why we ask them. Thank you.